So Mother's Day is only a couple weeks away. Before you know it, we'll be sending out Christmas cards again. It is moving along. We're in the final week of our series, What We've Seen and Heard. And we realized that the disciples didn't turn the world upside down uh, with a theory or with a dogma or with a set of rules. They turned the world upside down with the true story of what they had witnessed and experienced during the life of Jesus. They had known Jesus as a friend. They had watched Jesus give his life as the ultimate sacrifice. They had seen the prints of the nails in his hands once he was the resurrected Christ. This morning, we are headed to Acts chapter 1 in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, where we will see how the living Christ becomes the hope of glory. How he lives uh, in us and through us. And as you turn there, I'd like to thank everybody who's already signed up uh, as a grounds volunteer for this season. We are really close to the number needed to have our crews set up. And if you've thought about helping, you just haven't had a chance yet uh, to sign up, there is still time to fill the gap. And so sign up for that. And also our uh, next steps coming up in May and several other things. On, on Friday mornings, uh, a couple times a month, I try to have breakfast with my wife, and, and we just go down to sunrise and, and have breakfast together. And, and we were eating breakfast Friday morning, and I said, that looks like Cole Crownover in the parking lot. And sure enough, it was. He's here today. He came to celebrate with Scott, and uh, so many of you know Cole, and you've seen him. And he lives in the most podunk place I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, stopped through there with my mom uh, last week for the, for the night. And we drove 45 miles and did not see a human being. Um, we saw lots of cornfields and windmills. Uh, and we got there and I told Cole, you have got to be punking me. You, there's no way you actually live here. Like you just picked out this address and came here just to fool us, right? Um, but he lives there. And then I found out that there actually is civilization. It's just in a different direction than the direction I came from. So he lives in Illinois now with Sharon and the kids. And it's, it's always good to see them. We're in Acts chapter 1 this morning. And let's start reading here in verse number 1. The former treatise have I made... O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And of course, the former treatise he's talking about is the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, which is a history uh, of the early church. And so he says, I've given you this former record, now I'm going to give you this one. Uh, and now we go to verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me." For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and on the uttermost part of the earth. And we had spoken these things while they behold, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so, yes, the resurrected Christ ascended into glory. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. He ever makes intercession for us. We can go boldly before his throne. And and so the resurrected Christ is gone into glory. And yet he would continue to live in his disciples as God the Holy Spirit. What a miraculous indwelling that is. It's hard for us to even really comprehend it. Uh, Jesus had already told the disciples this would happen. He promised that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, would be with them, live in them, and guide them to all truth. Uh, John 15, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And if you read uh, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, you can see that Jesus thoroughly explained who the Holy Spirit is and what his ministry would be in our lives. But it was still difficult to understand. Uh, In fact, after Jesus explained it, in John 16, some of the disciples are sitting there whispering to each other, and uh, what this... What he's saying, a little while you'll see me, and a little while you won't see me, and a little while you will, and a little while you won't, what is that all about? And, and so one of them finally piped up and said, Jesus, how is it that you won't be here anymore, but you will still be here? Right? Because this is a tough one. Like, I'm here, but I'm not here. Yeah, that's not exactly easy to understand. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school... Uh, when you're five or six years old, you're singing, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, right? So you've heard the words, but how that actually happens, how it actually works is difficult to understand. And we are definitely, uh, in our time period, looking at it from a different point of view than these men who had walked around on the earth with Jesus for three years, Right? They'd been walking with him, eating with him, sleeping beside him on the ground for three years. And now Jesus said, I'm going away, but good news, I'll still be here. You just won't see me. Right? So you're, you're trying to put all this together. And even 25 years after the resurrection, uh, there was a much greater understanding on the issue of an indwelling Christ. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans about 25 years later and delivered a doctrinal masterpiece on this issue and, of course, on many other issues as well. So this morning, we're going to jump from the ascension that we just read about in Acts 1 to the explanation of the Spirit's working in Romans 8. And I want to go to Romans 8 this morning, and we're going to see seven 
titles or offices that the Holy Spirit has in the lives of believers. And they may not all be ones that we're going to understand together, but hopefully you'll understand at least some of them. And I believe that even the youngest people in the room can understand uh, God's Word as the Holy Spirit applies it today. And uh, so let's start into your notes now. They're provided in your bulletin, and they're also on the Version app if you like the techie stuff. And we are headed into the first one, talking about the Spirit. The Spirit. And it's just the Spirit. Now, there may be a blank in your notes, but that's my fault. There's a typo, okay? So uh, look with me to Romans 8, and we're going to study this together. Let's talk about the Spirit. Romans 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay, so the first title is just the Spirit, simply the Spirit. By the way, Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Okay, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful picture that is. Now look at verse number four. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So there it is again. And now go down to verse number 9 with me. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now let's jump all the way down to verse number 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And then finally, let's go to verses 26 and 27. And if you are a believer who is walking in the Spirit, I want you to notice this powerful picture of what the Spirit does on your behalf every day. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You can rest assured on this. The Holy Spirit of God is praying for you today. That's pretty awesome, right? Jesus died for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you before the throne of God with groanings which cannot be uttered. It's talk that only God understands. And it's such a beautiful thing the Spirit does for us. And as we follow uh, the text, we find that the Holy Spirit is the means by which we have a spiritual walk. Just like Jesus told his disciples, without me, you can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no Christian walk. There is no indwelling Christ. There is no spirit to help us with our infirmities. There's absolutely no engine to move us forward spiritually. Now, you can have a beautiful car. When I was about 18, I finally got my first car. I'd been driving the family station wagon for several years before that. And we had an old Oldsmobile station wagon that was just really 
long and uh, had learned to navigate all those turns. Uh, but when I was a senior in high school, uh, finally got enough money saved up, and I bought my first car that was my own. It was a 1980 Subaru GL, the color of puke green. <laughs> like literally, that's the color of it. And I learned how to drive that thing. The first day I was driving it down the road, I was so proud, I just watched it, and the hood flew up while I was driving down the road. And so I'm in the middle of the main road of town, and all these people are driving by, and some of them knew who I was, and how embarrassing is that, right? Uh, I I learned to drive that beautiful Subaru uh, until one fateful night when I was in college, uh, there was an ice storm. And it was about two in the morning, and I was headed home after work, and somebody had left their Oldsmobile 88 parked in the middle of the road on a hill in an ice storm. Their car broke down, they left it there. And so I'm coming down this hill on my Subaru, I'm going slow, you know, there's ice. Oklahoma, especially, they don't know how, ice storms are horrible there, and, and they don't know how to drive. Hence why they left the Oldsmobile in the middle of the road, right? Um, So I'm coming down this hill, and all of a sudden there's a car beside me, so I couldn't move over, and so I had to run right in the middle of that Oldsmobile. It didn't even scratch it, but it basically totaled my Subaru. And so I had to walk down this hill in the snow to a Circle K and call my dad, and he came, and my dad's old school. He didn't bring a tow rope. He just got behind the Subaru with his car and pushed it home for a mile and a half. He'd just bump it, and I'd run for a while, and I'd bump it and run again. And uh, finally got that beautiful beast home. And it sat in our driveway for a couple months until we sold it to a junkyard. And uh, so you can have a beautiful car like my puke green Subaru. But if it doesn't have a working engine, you're not going anywhere. Right? You could have a Jaguar or a Range Rover or whatever beautiful car. If it doesn't have an engine, you're not going anywhere. And for thousands of years of human history, uh, people would gaze up at the moon on a clear night. And I'm sure that some of them uh, who were scientifically minded thought about going to the moon. Right? I'm sure Newton probably thought of it, and uh, Copernicus and Kepler and all these scientists. But it was just a dream because even though they thought about what the moon looked like, they had no way to get there. And then in 1961, and some of you probably remember this. How many were alive in 1961? Okay. President John F. Kennedy challenged the nation to land astronauts on the moon by the end of the decade. Right? Now, it's a big deal, like a president stands up and challenges us to have, you know, like solar-powered cars five years from now or whatever. Uh, But he challenged them to go to the moon by the end of the decade. And so over the next few years, the Saturn V rocket was developed. And by December of 1968, the Apollo 8 mission orbited the moon. And the next year, uh, on July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon. Yeah, I, I think he really did. I don't think it was a hoax, but yeah, he stepped on the moon. The first of 12 men who would walk there over the next three years. But you know, none of them would have gotten there without a powered vehicle. 
Now, we, we can all jump kind of different levels, right? Um, so, some people say that certain uh, folks can't jump very high. And, and we certainly can't jump high enough to reach the moon. Nobody could on his own. And there are people in her who are uh, high jumpers. They jump higher than others. Oh, Isaac, now don't let him fool you. He doesn't just wear a Lakers jersey. That guy can jump, right? He can jump way up there. And you might be able to jump in the air uh, a few inches. I feel like I could maybe get an inch off the ground here this morning at least, uh, or even a foot. And, and there are athletes, believe it or not, who have a vertical jump that is uh, three or even four feet high up in the air. They can jump that high in the air. In fact, the world record holder is Evan Unger from Canada. He jumped 63 and a half inches in the air in 2016. So, you know, when we're talking about jumping to the moon, 63 and a half inches ain't going to cut it, right? It's not going to get you anywhere. You need a ride. And it's the same way with us spiritually, We all have different gifts and abilities, some more or less than others. We're all distinct and unique, but none of us can get to God without a vehicle. We need Jesus, and we need his spirit to empower our journey to God. And so we see the spirit of God called the spirit here in our text. Next, we're going to see the second one, the spirit of life. The spirit of life. I want you to go with me to Romans 8, starting in verse number 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so we just see the spirit of life. Go down to verse number 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so notice that there is no path to righteousness without the spirit's working. Uh, the spirit isn't just the vehicle. The spirit is also the road. Okay, so he's both. He's the road to get there and the vehicle that goes on the road. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that he's the way and the truth and the life. And that no man gets to God without him. Now the spirit applies the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf. And removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's what the spirit of life does. The spirit of life takes our condemnation and gets rid of it and takes the righteousness of Jesus and replaces it and gives us a a new garment, an unfaded garment. Revelation talks about that we'll show up uh, to, we will show up to the battle of Armageddon, those of us who are saved, in white garments, robed in white because we've been placed on the righteous list by the Holy Spirit. So, so we've got the Spirit, and then we got the Spirit of life. Then we see the Spirit of God. So that's the third one, the Spirit of God. I want you to notice verse number nine. 
We read this earlier. Now we're going to see a different title within this verse. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Okay, down to verse 14 now. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. When a person is born again, his spirit unites with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Uh, before you were a Christian, you had a body that was headed toward death, a soul that was headed toward eternal death, and a spirit that had never lived. You were what Jesus calls condemned already. Nobody has always been a Christian, it's not even possible. And the moment you received Jesus as your Savior, your entire being was changed. You became a new creation in Christ. Your body, headed toward physical death, was promised a glorified makeover in heaven. God changed the destination of your soul from eternal death to eternal life. And your spirit was born into God's family, made alive by the Spirit of God. Uh, the Spirit of God would live in your spirit from that point forward. The Spirit of God lives in you, and your spirit always agrees with the Spirit of God. Uh, as we look at verse 9, this is confirmed. Look what it says again in verse number 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Uh, in verse 9, what we just read, we also see another spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Okay, it's just another title. It's the same spirit, just another title, the Spirit of Christ. Next title for the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this verse makes it clear that if you're missing the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. Okay, uh, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, let me help you with this verse to clear up any confusion that may have come from uh, your past or somebody's opinion or some book you read or something you heard. When you got saved, the moment you got saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit you will ever get, Okay. Uh, the question after that is, does he have all of you? Okay, so uh, sometimes we don't allow the Spirit to work in our lives. Uh, but according to this verse that we just read, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, right? So there cannot be a believer who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. And when you got the Holy Spirit, you didn't get half the Holy Spirit, you got all the Holy Spirit. There's no, no such thing as half the Holy Spirit. And, and so just don't be confused on that issue. The Scripture makes it really plain. Uh, the Spirit is proof that you've been born again. Ephesians 1 calls the Holy Spirit the earnest of our inheritance. Kind of like an earnest payment. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. The presence of the Spirit in your life shows that you have been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus, that you're not your own. Your body is the temple of the Spirit. 
the house that the Spirit of Christ lives between salvation and heaven. And every true believer has the Spirit's imprint on his or her life. As Galatians 5 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, I love that verse at the end of Galatians 5. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Uh, when our son Cody was little, he was uh, in a preschool program. And I think he was four. And they, they were learning the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, uh, self-control. And uh, learning this. And he would practice at home. And if you, walk, if you walk in the Spirit, let us keep in step. Keep in step with the Spirit. And uh, he couldn't say keep. I don't know why. But he said seep. So he said, if you walk in the Spirit, let us seep in step, seep in step with the Spirit. I think we still got a video of him doing it. And that's the way he used to go on the trampoline, too. He'd just go all the way in a big circle, just like this. And I love to embarrass Cody when he's here. He's a man now, and he can whip me. And so I have to do it while I'm up here, because then he can't come and attack me and, like, take me down. Um, so <laughs> don't do anything crazy around that guy. I'll tell you what. But if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And if your life is displaying the fruit of the Spirit, it is clear to everyone, yourself included, the Spirit of God's dwelling in you, right? You're not nearly good enough to act like the Holy Spirit can act in you. If you're showing forth love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, that is evidence of the Spirit of Christ in you. And if you never show forth any of those qualities that are part of the fruit of the Spirit, if your life only displays the work of the flesh, then you should see that as a big warning sign. See, the works of the flesh are what you produce. The fruit of the Spirit can only be produced by Christ living in you. Amen. You catch that? Fruit of the Spirit can only be produced by Christ living in you. And, and we just read here in Romans 8 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now let's move to Romans 8 11. And let's see this next one. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell on you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his, thought, by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So this thought starts back in verse 10. Uh, the spirit is life and he brings life. And if Christ is in you, then your flesh is crucified with Christ. Figuratively speaking, your body is dead. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Now, what's that mean? It means that he realized his flesh was a body of death. His flesh couldn't do anything right. It would never desire to yield to Christ on its own. Uh, if he allowed his flesh to go where it wanted to go, it would always run back to sin and bondage. And so he had to crucify his flesh on a daily basis and allow the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to be in charge. Because if the spirit dwells in you, then you are made alive by the very same spirit that raised up Jesus. Now, catch this. The spirit of life 
The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, all these ones we're talking about, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will never lead you towards sin. Never. It will always lead you toward God's purposes. That's what John was talking about in 1 John 3 when he said this. Whoever abides in him sins not. Okay, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you've received Jesus, that power is living in you right now. And that spirit can never sin. But there's a question on the opposite direction. Are you allowing your rotten flesh to be an obstacle to the spirit? And the answer to that question, unfortunately, for all of us is yes. There are times when the flesh gets up off the mat and takes back over, and we think horrible things and say horrible things and do horrible things. And you say, well, I never do that. Well, the Apostle Paul did, so you probably do too, okay? And right now you're lying, which is a horrible thing, so stop lying in church, right? If you're going to lie, take it outside. Uh, in, in Romans 7... Uh, the chapter previous to the one we're studying, Paul said this. This is so profound. Paul said, that which I would, I do not. But that I hate, I do. And then later on, he said this. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, thank God there's an answer we can have victory over the flesh through the power of resurrection. Colossians 1.27 delivers the phrase that's kind of our title today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I'm telling you, Christ in you is the hope for today and tomorrow and next week and all eternity. Christ in you is the answer to every issue and every situation in your life. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him. And don't you ever let the enemy trick you into thinking there's no way to escape your sinful behaviors. I have to do this, right? They, the enemy will make you think there's no way to get out of your damaging habits and your devastating addictions. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. If you're a believer. And so nail that flesh back to the cross, and the Spirit will lead you to abundant life and soul rest. Now let's look at this next one. I love this next one. Romans 8:15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So the spirit of adoption. Now, we talked earlier about your spirit being born at the moment of salvation. What we know is spiritual birth. The spirit is born into the family. The soul, though, your soul, the soul that was headed toward eternal death, that soul can't be born. It has to be adopted into God's family. The word adoption here refers to being placed as a child within the family with all the rights and responsibilities of the family. It is this spirit in our hearts that cries out to God as our father, Abba, Father. Now this phrase, Abba, Father, is first seen in Scripture in Mark 14. 
where Jesus is praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before his crucifixion. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. And Abba in Hebrew is not a rock band from Europe, okay? Uh, Abba in Hebrew is equivalent to Papa or Poppy in many languages. It's equivalent to Daddy in English. It is a call directly to the Father's heart. When you start talking about words like Daddy and Mommy, you move very quickly to a deep level of communication, There's an incredible amount of emotion that comes with the term. It's the spirit of adoption that calls us into relationship with the Heavenly Father, our Daddy. Now, you should try this. Sometime when you're praying this week, use this term, Abba or Daddy, for your Heavenly Father, and notice what it does to your soul. If you have a child or grandchild who calls you by a special name, It touches your heart every time they say it, right? Titus, uh, even when he yells from his room in the middle of the night, Dad, it still touches my heart. Now, my, my brain and my flesh are very slow to catch up, but it does touch my heart. Right? And when they call you in the middle of the night, when, they, when they're scared, when they don't feel well, when they fall down, when they've been hurt, when they don't know where to turn, when they got fired from their job, when they had a car accident, and they call out to you as a parent, that is a special call. And when you call out to your Heavenly Father this way, it touches his heart. Right? At his most difficult moment on earth, What did Jesus call the Father? Abba, Father. Papa, Papa. Daddy, Daddy. Right? So your second grader comes in and says, Most gracious Father, leader of our home, keeper of the snacks, hast thou a granola bar for me? That's never happened, right? What did she say? Daddy, can I have a snack? Right? And if you think a prayer with big terms and correct phrasing will impress God or touch his heart, then you have been misled. He is your Abba, and he is the spirit of adoption in you that calls out in love. Now let's keep going from verse 15 to verse 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's talk about the spirit of witness. God's spirit constantly communicates with our spirits. And the reason that we so often miss the communication is that we're distracted and influenced by our flesh. The spirit spirit of witness is strong. He's very strong. He's like infinitely strong but he doesn't yell. Uh, He's powerful, but he never forces his way. He's always present for those who are children of God. Uh, I love the promise from 1 John 5, 10. He that believes on the Son has the witness in himself. His witness is everlasting. It is completely effective. You don't ever have to update or change the software. The Spirit of God is the most efficient teacher and guide there's ever been. He is Christ living in you. 
but an uncontrolled flesh won't allow you to hear his voice. He doesn't shout, he whispers. You have to be focused. You know, I never had great fear when I was a kid until my mom started whispering. When my mom started whispering, I knew I was in big trouble, right? Because she would talk normal, like if she wanted to tell you, go get this or stop doing this. But when she started whispering, it was serious business, right? And especially in church, she would just reach over and grab the inside of my leg right here and latch hold and say, you better be quiet. (laughs) And it worked, right? And I'm telling you, if the Spirit of God ever starts chastening you, he's not going to yell, he's going to whisper. And you will definitely know it's him. Uh, You have to set aside distractions and be focused and trust that his leading is always your best move. It is. You have to fully yield to his purposes because he knows better than you possibly can what his will is for your life. You'll never go wrong by yielding to the spirit of witness. Never. When I was a kid, every Sunday morning after the message, the choir would sing, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Every Sunday, every Sunday morning. I was like, why can't you switch songs? And it's the only one they ever sang. But at the end of the night service, there was a little more variety, okay? They switched between like five or six songs. And one of my favorites has always been, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am yielded, uh, while I'm waiting, yielded and still. And, and the final part of the last verse of that song is our faith challenge this morning. And so the last verse goes like this. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. And I've got that phrase written right in the front of my Bible. Christ only always living in me. It's a reminder that Jesus is alive and well. Yes, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. But through the Holy Spirit, through the spirit of resurrection, through the spirit of witness, through the spirit of adoption, through the spirit of Christ, he's also living in us right now as the hope of glory. And and so the question really comes down to this. Are you listening to the spirit of witness in your life today? Do you have the spirit of God? And if you don't, You don't belong to Christ. Not my words, those are his. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you that we could come in today. And we could be reminded that Jesus is definitely our friend. He's most certainly the sacrificial lamb, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He's the resurrected Savior. He is also Christ in you, the hope of glory.
And I pray that we would submit our lives fully to the working of the Holy Spirit today and tomorrow and through this week, each and every moment, Christ only, always living in me. We ask in your name, amen. God bless you, everybody. Love you. We'll see you next time.